This is so interesting. Joining me in the studio to explain a little more to our me, us mere mortals, Dr. Ellie Sansom, who is a research associate here for the Curtin University. Now, people listening at the moment may have been one of the very lucky people that recently saw the magnificent blue moon, Ellie. Its sheer elegance was seen. It was just, it was magical, wasn't it? You just had to catch the moment. Yeah, it's extra bright at uh, at this time of year for sure. It's it is yeah, I guess pretty magical. Well, it is to us. I mean, <laughs> you have the advantage, I suppose, and the not the luck because that's been your chosen career to look through telescopes and see these beautiful planets from time to time. But we never get to see it that big and so gorgeous. So, well, it's amazing what our eyes can do and what we can actually see just with our own eyes. As that's well. well. That is, we're very grateful for that. Now, it's once in a blue moon. That's an odd expression, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That applies to what's happening. Yes, yeah, so it's actually really interesting. The the a lot of people think that a blue moon, um, or, uh, the expression "once in a blue moon" is uh, named after how rare it is to have two moons in a month. But actually, it's the other way around. It's um, okay. it was historically that this um, saying came up that oh, if you ever see a blue moon, it's something that's really rare. It's never, never kind of, it's almost something that's impossible. Or uh, the only time the moon actually ever looks really blue is usually when you have quite a lot of dust or uh, pollution or um, in historically okay. fires, uh, really big fires or volcanic eruptions will make the moon look a little bit bluer. So those kind of events are really, really rare. <laughs> so people would say, oh, once in a blue moon is when, when a really it's sort of similar, though, unusual event it? happens. It's the same. We didn't see it as in, as in blue, a blue colour, did we, this time? No. No, so the no eruptions anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so this time. That's but clear. yeah, so the blue moon actually is now named after the saying so um the fact that you have two moons in a month is because our the lunar cycle is once every 28 days and every uh, two to three years you'll get two moons in one month and that's happening this year in august and um so that second one is called a blue moon not because it's actually blue yeah. but it's named after the saying that does it's make a lot of sense now that you've explained it the second one if people are to see it is what august 3 one it's on the 31st of august yeah, 31st yes. of august now we have to know where they can see it and what time <laughs> that would be well available. it's actually just your typical full moon um so any time after oh. sunset it'll come up basically opposite the sun so after sunset the moon should be rising and you'll be able to see it all night and you might not notice so it's what we call um at this time of year a super moon it's not uh it's technically 17 percent larger than at the other times at um, the opposite time of year but you probably won't notice it might you might think it looks a little bit bigger in the sky yeah uh, but what you might notice more is actually how bright it is around yes. so once it gets to about 10 or 11 o'clock at night you'll feel like it's it's much much brighter around you than it is normally well it it is really quite gorgeous so the fact is of course we we hope then we're not going to have too much cloud cover oh yeah that yeah, was that's, that's, what happened on the first one unfortunately oh, so. <laughs> yeah that is always the risk isn't it now the thing about it is that are we closer to it what why is why are we getting this right that's a really interesting question and it's actually because the moon goes around the earth and it's not a circle it's not a perfect circle so at certain times of the year it gets a little bit closer we don't get closer to it it kind of comes a little bit closer to us okay uh, and other times of the year it's, it's just that little bit further away so around this time in summer it, it gets a little bit closer a little bit closer does it mean people like yourselves astrophysicists and people around the world are taking a lot of notice of it can they see more on the moon are they not that 
much closer, is it really? It's uh, <clears throat> it, the moon is so close to us compared to a lot of the other things that we're looking you at. You can in anyway. Space, yeah. But um, it, not so much. But obviously, for us, what's really exciting and important is how much everybody else notices and gets excited, and being able to share our passion yeah. and uh, of space and what's actually out there beyond the moon uh, is always really exciting. So, did you say? I'm sorry, I didn't remember what you said. If it happens every year or every few years? So the, the these super moons will happen every year every year around the about, same time about three or four moons a year we can we can call super moons when they're in that period closest to us okay and but it's always around this time of the year it's at the moment it's around this yeah august time so, okay well yeah. okay so just repeating august the 31st that is the hopefully won't be too much cloud cover when the sun goes down and the, and the stars start to twinkle up in the sky look out and get into a good position maybe go to king's park or somewhere up fairly high so that you you have it um, unobstructed yeah i guess yeah. so yeah and it'll be rising in the east um, opposite the sun. Oh, okay. There you go. Now, what's happened overnight? We've had a fireball. <laughs> that was a pretty cool event. Um, it's <laughs> for everyone over kind of Victoria, Tasmania way. Might have might have caught it around. I think it was around midnight last night. Um, a really a quite a spectacular event. Um, it's actually some space junk. Oh, wow, that's happening a bit too frequently. <laughs> definitely <laughs> happening more and more. Up on the northwest coast, we just had that big piece mm. come in from an Indian spaceship or something. Yeah, it got washed up. Washed <laughs> up. So this one, okay, has it been... It was great vision, might I just say, whoever caught that. That was terrific. Were Fantastic. they expecting it or was coincidental, do you think? I think a lot of... For these, when, um, when we're looking for... So I run the Desert Fireball Network and we have cameras across Australia basically looking for these really bright shooting star events, but normally from... Our main purpose, I guess, is looking for the natural objects coming in that is completely uh, at random and we don't know when or where they're going to come in. And with uh, man-made objects, sometimes we know when they're coming in, sometimes we don't. But the thing that's mainly different between the two is the, uh, the speed that they come in at and the angle that they come in at. So natural objects can come in at anywhere, any kind of different angles, and they're usually coming in pretty fast, 20 sometimes up to 30, 40 kilometres per second. Wow, so that's fast, like going yeah. to Sydney in a, in a, in a couple... <laughs> okay. <laughs> very, very I, I, quickly. Okay, I guess the question is, what threat is it to anybody sort of in their home at night if we're somewhere where, where these pieces are going to fall? I mean, sometimes so that could happen. So for natural objects, they are quite... It's our atmosphere is an amazing protector, and these beautiful okay. light shows that we're seeing, meteors, fireballs, um, they what we're actually seeing is that that rock burning up in our atmosphere. So usually they'll they'll lose about ninety five percent of their mass when they come in. So even if they drop a rock on the ground, it's usually quite small. And we've yeah. historically only had I think two or three events where. Uh, a, a meteorite has actually come close to a human. Um, one landed in someone else. Actually, I think two have actually landed in someone's bed, but <laughs> next to them, and haven't. Well, actually that would wake you up, wouldn't it? In a hurry. <laughs> uh, and one hit a, a car. Um, oh my gosh! So it can happen. It, yeah. But that's historically ever. So natural events, not so much. But yeah. as you mentioned, space debris and human uh, assets up in space um, are becoming more and more common. There's a lot up there. And a lot of it is controlled re-entry and they, they, use, they bring it back in on purpose to, to burn it up and they aim for the oceans. And obviously the world is Well, that's thirds, comforting to know so, that. Um, but sometimes at 
uh, accidents do happen. Do happen. What, what do you think yeah. about this one that was uh, in the early hours of the morning? W- would you think that was being controlled in, to go into the ocean? Or I have haven't, you, haven't heard anything. Okay, that um, is interesting. But we did capture it on three of our cameras over in Victoria, so we will be looking at uh, where it came in from and uh, seeing if it made it overland. So the role that you play here at Curtin uh, with the res- as a research associate, just explain that to people. Uh, so I am a planetary scientist here at Curtin and a planetary scientist, probably most people most people have heard of what a geologist does, looking at uh, the Earth and how the Earth formed and evolved. A lot of people know what astronomy uh, is and what people do with looking into telescopes, look out into deep space. And planetary science is this really interesting field that sits basically between those two where uh, our solar system used to be something that we could only explore with telescopes and that was astronomy. But now our telescopes can go way, way beyond not only into our own galaxy but starting to look back and up into other galaxies and all the way back to the beginning of time. So when we're looking at our own solar system that's that's too too easy we're too it's too close um we can explore it with uh rovers we can explore it with space missions um and we can actually start using geological techniques to understand a little bit more about our own backyard and our the planets around us so planetary science is kind of this field that's formed in that gap where we want to start looking in depth about our own solar system and how it formed and Well, evolved. the telescope that Curtin University have, um, just outside Geraldton, uh, has just celebrated an anniversary, mm-hmm. and you work closely with that, do you? Yes, yeah, so the Murchison Wide, Wide Field Array is uh, an amazing radio yeah. telescope, telescope, amazing facility uh, up in the Murchison, and we are very, very lucky here in Western Australia to be able to be home to something something that amazing. Well, when you said it rather quickly, but it sort of triggered something in my thinking that you're thinking you, you may find out how earth, how human life began mm. my goodness that mm-hmm. is incredible how far back are you going to if you can to find that out do you think so what we look at as as planetary scientists the actually meteorites that um are rocks that fall into to earth that we can study can give us some amazing information about uh, our solar system history. Some of them are older than Earth and they are those building blocks of planets that didn't quite make it into a planet and they're all still hanging out in space as just excess rubble. And sometimes they, they fall to Earth. And we have about 70,000 in collections around the world now that, peop- that scientists Goodness. study and can start looking at the geochemistry and what that environment and temperature and pressure might have been like in the, the early solar system. But we don't know where very many of them actually come from. We recover them once they're here on Earth. We know they've survived the, the atmosphere, but we don't know where in space they might have uh, come from. Did they come from really, really far out before uh, beyond Neptune and Uranus, or did they come from the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, yeah. or are they from outside our solar system? Uh, so that's something that we do with the Desert Fireball Network, is from the different c- points of view of cameras, we actually see these things coming in. Uh, we can predict where they land and we can pick them up, but we can also put an orbit to those and get an idea of how far away they might have come from. I can't even imagine the excitement of holding a piece of, um, you know, that debris in your hand to be that old and to be able to give you that much information. It is pretty, pretty yes, exciting. Yes, it, it has to be. It's just phenomenal. Your choice of a career, what triggered that as a younger person? Not that you're old now, oh. mind you. <laughs> um, it's, I've always kind of been been fascinated and excited in in space, and um, I guess I had the 
thought that a lot of people had was, oh, space is, space is hard, you have to be a rocket scientist. But I guess my path has eventually taken me back to what I, I'm passionate about and what I yeah. enjoy. Um, it's the unknown that we, yeah. as human beings, want some answers. We're always striving yes, to, aren't we? to reach the unknown and explore. And um, We might be disappointed, you know. Hundreds of years ago, it was, <laughs> let's, let's go and explore our own planet and find new continents. And now it's... Um, and now it's What's what's the, what's left to know about our own planet? We have to go beyond and into a. I, re- I remember it was a very hazy black and white picture coming live from the moon landing, mm-hmm. when the man first walked on the moon, and my son was quite little at the time, and I took him outside. And look, it was it during the day? Look at the moon up there. There's someone walking on it. It was phenomenal, you know, to know that we could get that close. It brings yes, it brings so much excitement. Oh, it and does. It's the last frontier, it. isn't it? I mean, but mind you, it goes a long way out. <laughs> I don't think we can really, you can, but may, maybe not completely, but we cannot get our head around that we're the only planet that has life the way we see it and everything like that. And I'm not saying there's an alien out there, please don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's just life in form of, you know, growth of anything. But it's just amazing, isn't it, that we've evolved as we have. It really is. And that's something that we look at is, well, where did, because we know that Earth formed in an area that, uh, would have lost most of its probably most of its water. So a lot of the questions of well, where, well how did we yeah. have so much water on Earth? Uh, and we do look to actually uh, impacts from icy comets in those early days that, that would have brought water fall. back possibly. And water's the key, isn't it? Really. And we at the moment when we talk about looking for life in the universe, we are looking for life as we know it on earth so yeah. there might be different forms of life that we're not re- we we just don't know you're not about, talking body form you're talking we're talking about carbon-based that's life it. yes so yes, exactly. that's what we know what we um can test in our own labs and we can uh, we can identify with so that's what yeah. we're searching for when we talk about uh, life obviously there's lots of other possibilities out there uh, but that's what we know best so that's what do you think to search for if, if you be, if you're with. able to start to find these things out which i'm sure you're going to because we're progressing a lot how will it help our planet do you think what can we learn from it i wonder i think it's really interesting to learn a little bit about how so we can actually now looking using yeah these amazing telescopes look at other solar systems basically we're not the only solar system with planets around around a central star there's there's hundreds of them out there now and we can start to characterize those get, get a little bit of an idea of their atmospheres but not just about um so we can look to other um systems to look at not only how their planets are forming but how they're continuing to evolve and possibly how these systems might die die off or um become too hot or uninhabitable in in the future so we might learn a little bit about where our solar system might be going in the future uh this is you said this is our the only planet we know of currently that has life and some people say well it's our spaceship um (laughs) this is our this is our um habitat in this huge universe and i guess those things with climate change and everything about looking after our own planet is there's not we don't know of a second planet that we could go to if we screw this one up (laughs) well we 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 are messing things up a wee bit on the planet this one and hopefully we can learn a little bit on how to improve our lives the planet itself Mm. it's very special it is very special isn't it It, yes with the life we have at the moment it is unique unique 
All right, just finally, August 31, the blue moon. Mm -hmm. Put in your diary, everybody. Um, When the sun goes down and the stars come up, that's when you get out and have a look. Uh, If you're in an apartment block, go to the top level and (laughs) have a look with your... I suppose binoculars would help a little bit, wouldn't they? You, you can do for sure. If you, yeah. um, I think the problem is with a full moon is actually it's it's very bright. So I'd actually give you almost a warning of if you you're using um, binoculars or a telescope that uh, you might need sunglasses or something to pretend to, to protect the reflected light that's coming back. How, oh, it? look, there could be love around the world when they see a moon like that. Songs are going to be written, engagements are going to happen, babies are going to be born. <laughs> All under the blue moon. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. I hope we can catch up with you again soon. Thank uh, you for having me. Dr. Ellie Sansom.